Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, where your source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development, where we share original research, explore industry trends, and interview executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We hope you join us often for practitioner-oriented content around all things related to leadership, HR, talent management, organizational development, and change management. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Do you enjoy the Human Capital Innovations Podcast? Enjoy ad-free listening by going to the Patreon page, and please consider contributing even at the producer or sponsorship level. And please leave a review. Thank you for your support. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Michael Clinton about the great resignation whiplash phenomenon. Michael Clinton, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. John, so great to see you. Thanks for having me on today. It is a pleasure to be with you. You're joining us from New York. I'm south of Salt Lake City in Utah. And today we're going to be talking about the great resignation whiplash phenomenon. Uh, People have been talking about the great resignation now for what, a year or so. Um, There's been lots of conversations, lots of framings and reframings, great resignation, great reevaluation, great this, that, the other, right? People have been talking about all these different things related to it. The reality is it's a tight labor market. It's a it's hard for organizations to attract and retain good people. I think that's always been the case, but it's even more challenging now than it has been in recent years. Uh, and so this is all of what we're going to be exploring together today and talking about this whiplash phenomenon that's also emerged while we've been experiencing all of this. As we get started, I wanted to share Michael's bio with everybody. Michael Clinton is the former president and publishing director of Hearst Magazines and now serves as a special media advisor to the Hearst Corporation CEO. He is the author of Roar into the second half of your life before it's too late. From his working class roots to success in the New York magazine world, Michael shares his own journey as an avid traveler, having experienced to 124 countries and running marathons on seven continents. A photographer, private pilot, part owner of a vineyard in Argentina and founder of a nonprofit foundation, Michael holds a bachelor's degree from the University of Pittsburgh, plus two master's degrees from Columbia University and Pace University. He serves on the board of trustees of International Center of Photography in Pace University and has written for the New, York, the New York Times, Town & Country, and Runner's World, among many other outlets. He resides in New York and Santa Fe, New Mexico. And in the pre-interview, we were just chatting, and uh, sounds like you just returned from Italy last night. So you've been gallivanting around the world and enjoying uh, all the beauty, all the beauties that are out there. Uh, great to be with you today. Anything else you would like to share with me or my audience by way of your background or personal context before we dive on in? Amazing. Thanks for the introduction. I'm exhausted just hearing about it. But uh, <laughs> I always say to people, I know I'm also very annoying. 
because people always say, how do you get so much done in a given day, which we can talk about. But, yeah, we just got back from great, a great two weeks in Tuscany. As you know, the dollar's very yeah. strong. So I'm telling everybody yeah. go to Europe right now. Um, <laughs> the food was so plentiful and affordable and so forth. But, yeah, no, it's great. It's, it's really great. Thanks for that nice, nice introduction. Yeah. And I have to say, I, I love traveling. Um, but I have, I've only scratched the surface in comparison to your 124 countries <laughs> well, uh, that you've been to. Time ahead of you. <laughs> that, that's fantastic. And yeah, we, we love to travel my wife and I and our children and, and hopefully we get to see more and more, uh, as the years go on, but that's fantastic. And I can't quite, um, wrap my head around running marathons. Uh, that's just something I, I'm not really a runner, you know, right. I, I get, I get exercise and I do the things I need to. I was a road biker back in the day, um, but it's been a hot minute since I've done that. So that's the closest thing I can okay. kind of connect well, we with. All, but... We all have our thing, right? We all find our yeah. thing. My, running is still my my thing. I like to tell that's everyone awesome. that you can start at any age if you uh, if you're interested, and you know it just happens to be the thing that turns me on the most. Yeah, well, that's that's fantastic. All right. So today we're going to be talking again about the great resignation whiplash phenomenon. So why don't you describe that for us a little bit uh, and then we can start to yeah. pull it apart and dissect it a little bit. Yeah. You know, one of the things um, that I, I observed, you know, whoever made up the the phrase, the great resignation, um, I give them a lot of credit because it got a lot of press coverage and it was a big soundbite. And but at the end of the day, when you really pull it apart and unpack it, um, it really didn't exist in the true sense of a massive resignation, because what happened is the percentage of people who are in their top earning years, let's call it, you know, up into your 50s, the, the numbers were very, very small of people who actually left their work and their workplace. I mean, people have to pay mortgages and rent and feed kids and pay tuitions. And so the numbers were dramatically small. Where, where it had a big impact, obviously, was um, with the 65-year-old people who took early retirement, people who were, you know, more, more exposed from the pandemic standpoint, from a health standpoint. It made those people who were in their early 60s may have said, well, you know, I'll opt out now and take a couple of years and see what I'm going to do next. And I'll get to that in a minute. Um, and then, of course, the, the people who are on the front lines of, of public serving uh, you know, jobs, you know, restaurants and things like that were the ones that that they didn't resign. They were kind of forced to not work. So when you start pulling it apart and looking at it, um, you began to see that it was more media hype than it was perhaps reality. And I, I, I made this observation a number of months ago that there was kind of a whiplash happening that, in fact, people were going back to work. There were people who were re-entering the workplace, as you mentioned earlier. You know, the the labor force is very tight. There were a lot of people who were in their early 60s who said, "Okay, I took a couple of years off, and now you know I'm ready to go back and do something else. You know, maybe not what I did, but I want to go back into into the workforce." So all of a sudden, now you're seeing all of these stories hit about everybody re-entering. So I, we publish Esquire, and I've been doing some writing for them, and I went to our editor. And said, I like to write a piece on this, which I'm sure you're familiar with about the great resignation whiplash, um, which people can access on Esquire.com. But it was just this very thing that people were re-entering. And by the way, people need to work. You know, a lot of people needed to work and, and also a lot of people want to work. 
you know, if you're 60 and healthy, you're going to live to be 90, hopefully. And so that's a long haul. You can't, you know, play the proverbial golf game for 40 years. It's just not sustainable. So I'm meeting a lot of 60-somethings who are saying, I want to go back into the workforce, but I want to do it in a different kind of way um, with a different kind of a different kind of approach. So I think those are some of the top line things. We can jump in, in a deeper way if you want on any of those. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. And it, it, again, it's important to note the great resignation. That was one that got a lot of traction, that that term. Right. And then everyone started to jump on that bandwagon. And so then people started calling it, you know, the great reevaluation, the great reawakening, the great whatever. Right. And there were a thousand of them. And right. each each of them actually, I think, kind of get to your point, like each of those different ways of framing it actually were trying to kind of pull back the curtain on this whole idea of the great resignation saying, eh, is it really happening the way, you know, people were initially thinking or are these other, are there the, these other um, phenomenon happening um, that are really describing what's going on? Um, yeah. And I think one thing that's true is that over the last couple of years during the pandemic, Lots of people had an opportunity to take a step back and kind of rethink their priorities and what's important to them and what they're going to do about it, right? And in some cases, like you said, it was those older workers deciding to try out early retirement and maybe after a couple of years deciding, eh, I'm not so sure anymore. Or maybe it's younger millennial or Gen Z workers deciding, eh, I, you know, maybe this this corporate grind wasn't for me. Maybe I want to do gig work or, you know, try out you know, something else like that. Like there's been a lot of trying things, I think over the last couple of years. Um, And ultimately it hasn't been necessarily people leaving the workforce in mass, but it's been a bit of a reshuffling. It's been a bit of people trying different things and reprioritizing. Uh, And, but ultimately we're still a couple of years later, you know, into the pandemic um, we're we're still in a place where most people have to have a job, like an actual normal job. Uh, Most people, want to have a job and most people are are trying to put their best foot forward to get a good opportunity to have a, a you know good meaningful career where they can make a contribution uh that looks different for everyone of course but uh but ultimately that's the reality right yeah no i think you you hit on something very very true and real is that Everybody did go through a big introspection during the pandemic, but it wasn't just about work. It was about life, right? It was about, am I living where I want to live? Am I, is the person I'm married to or my partner who I want to be with? You know, you know, many, many things that we all sort of step back. We sure did have a lot of time to think about it. And so I think that work, of course, was one of those things. Um, you know, the, I think that, it has not been written yet and it is not conclusive yet as to what is really going to happen in the workforce vis-a-vis hybrid work and people working from home. I saw a number today in the Wall Street Journal, you may have caught it, that, you know, the 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 swing back now to being back in the office is begun to happen. And companies are asking their people to come back. You know, many people want to go back, you know, younger professionals who you know, need to be networking and meeting, you know, peers and colleagues and finding their mentors and, you know, getting their professional underpinnings. You know, I, I think being being in a work environment is is good and it's and it's healthy um, for especially for someone who's just starting out. Uh, but I think all of that's going to certainly continue to play out. And the question will be, 
you know, how will people want to maneuver that for their own individual choices? If someone says, I only want a job that's 100% remote, okay, that's a decision you've made, then go find that job. You know, other people might say, I want a job where I'm going to be in the office every day. I mean, everybody's going to be on the spectrum. So companies that people have to find companies and jobs and, and, and organizations that will accommodate them and, and vice versa um, in, in terms of what is next. But I think you're right that, that we did go through a big you know, evaluation. And I think part of that evaluation was also um, what you touched on, people who were slightly older saying that they want to work longer. And I think part of the we're, we're entering a very dramatic moment. As you know, the population is, is getting older fast. And in eight years, those first millennials are going to be turning 50. And, you know, every day, I know, right? It's hard to believe. Every day, 10,000 people are turning 65. And this is not your 65-year-old parent or grandparent that you knew. These are people who are dynamic and vibrant and want to continue to work. And environments are still very ageist in, in companies and business. And how are they going to accommodate this uh, aging population who not only want to work longer, but need to work longer, especially people who are not in professional managerial roles, but everyday workers who aren't going to be able to just live on their social security for the next 30 years. So we're going to have a big reckoning happening, um, you know, in the culture and in, in, in the Western world, in the UK and Italy and Germany and Japan, it's, it's already happening. So yeah, lots, lots, lots on this front. Yeah. And, it, you know, I'm in the HR space. I'm a university professor. Um, I've been teaching my students for the last 15 years that this bubble, this age bubble, you know, is, is facing a, you know, phasing out in the workforce. And there's been a variety of factors that have, have somewhat delayed, you know, what people were even talking about a decade, decade and a half ago. But the reality is we continue to age. Of longevity is increasing as well, of course, um, and the number of healthy years that people have is increasing and such. And so people can work longer and want to work longer. So that's in part delaying this and economic ups and downs have also been part of what's at play here. Yeah. But the reality is, yes, there there are uh, th- there's this dynamic of like trying to figure out um, with different populations in the workforce, uh, with different age clusters in the workforce. Um, and really just, you know, getting beyond these general classifications of, of, of groups of people, but getting into really what every individual wants in your organization for their own careers, getting back right. to the priority conversation we were having earlier, that's going to be really important, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. For increasingly so for leaders. And so I, as a leader, I need to be willing to have those nor- those regular conversations with my people. I need to sit down with them, ask them about what is driving them, what they want, what they need, uh, what kind of flexibility is important to them, you know, what kind of work design and structure matters to them. Uh, You know, having those regular conversations with people are going to be essential uh, so that we can tailor things in a way that will fit the people that we're working for, because it's going to be hard, increasingly harder and harder to, 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 uh, to get really great people and to hang on to them. Uh, and we know that there's a skills gap. We know that there's yeah. certain industries that have already been wrestling with this for a long time, and it's only getting harder. So all of this just feeds into the, the challenges that yeah. I think leaders are well, facing. Th- there's a major mindset uh, issue that has to has to happen. I'll give you an example. You know, we're in a we're in a in a great era right now 
of really putting a spotlight on diversity, equity, equity and inclusiveness, uh, an important topic. But only 8% of U.S. companies, this is according to a PwC study, include age as part of their DEI policy. That is outrageous when you think about it, because age affects everyone, regardless of your gender, your race, your religion, all the above. Everyone is going to feel everyday ageism in one way, shape, or form. And companies are wired to say, when you're 55, 60, we start thinking of how we exit you out, as opposed to how we may re-employ you or redeploy you in a, in a different kind of way. And I think a great example of that would be, and I, I wrote a, a piece um, in Esquire that mentioned this particular in, in person, you know, someone who was an operator who ran a division, president of a division, wanted to stay employed in the company, but not necessarily running the grind of a division in the PL every day. And what he ended up doing is got redeployed to be the internal recruiter for VP level and higher globally for the company. How brilliant, because he was a longtime employee, senior executive, knew the culture, knows the business, knows talent, knows how to identify talent. What a wonderful way to redeploy him and keep him in the, the organization uh, you know, for a period of time, you know, I'm, I'm, you mentioned this at the top of the hour, you know, I'm the, the media advisor to the CEO of our corporation because of my long media history. And we've got many other businesses at Hearst and, you know, the value that I can bring to that discussion, I'm not doing the day to day anymore and I'm, but I'm still contributing in, in, in that kind of way. So I think it's really being creative and innovative, not just with your 20 somethings and your 40 somethings, but also with your 60 somethings yes. um, who yeah. want to stay, stay engaged. You also know that this is the first time in human history where we will have five generations of people in the workplace at the same time. And that has enormous you know, opportunity um, in terms of intergenerational activities, in terms of what each generation brings, brings to the party. And it's also important because it shows that 30-something, you know, the uh, Stanford University, you might be familiar with this study they just did called the, the New Map of Life that says the 100-year life is here and that the 40-year career is going to become the 60-year career. That lifespan is, is, is such in such evolution that people will have a 60-year work life um, th that takes you to, let's call it 80-ish. Um, that has huge implications for next generations. You know, I had a 40 year career, but if you have a 20 something in your in your household, that person's going to have a 60 year career. And by the way, it may not be the linear career that and it probably won't yeah, be right. a linear career, it'd be multiple different kinds of careers. Um, it's a really intriguing topic. I, I love it. And I love the focus on the ages and peace. I see that all the time. You know, I'm 43. So I'm not yet of the age where I've experienced that directly myself. Right. Um, but I see it. I see yeah. it um, happening in organizations very frequently. And I'm sure that those who are older probably see it a lot more than I do. Right. No, uh, for, um, sure, for sure. And, and organizations have built algorithms to weed out resumes that have you know yeah. date or long periods of employment which is 
inherently ageist right there. I mean, yeah. we could do a whole hour just on this. But, you know, it's interesting that people in their 40s, and there's been a couple of studies done recently where people in their mid to late 40s are, depending on the industry that they work in, um, the tech industry is one, you know, when you're in your, the, the, the ad agency, creative agency world is another, you know, you're like over the hill at 45 in those industries. And you think about the amount of experience and, and, and influence that they can bring to whatever aspect of the business it is. And so it's uh, so they're feeling ageism already in their in their mid 40s. As we are trying to address this, uh, we we, we want to lean into this five generations in the workforce all at once, this extension of you know longevity and healthy work life um, that we can have uh, more people uh, at even older and older ages making a meaningful contribution. I love the idea of de- redeployment of of skilled experienced people uh, to just have a different role, right? And and part of that, I think, might be a cultural shift that we need to go about, um, right. you know, in, in Western society in particular, that it's okay. Like, it's not seen as some sort of a bad negative thing if I decide I want to step down from the daily grind of like a senior leadership role. Right. It's it's not about constant, quote unquote, progression up the ladder, but it's it's about doing things that are meaningful to you that allow you to contribute and, and make a difference. And for a time, that might mean an executive role, but for a time, that might mean a bunch of different things, right? And yeah. so we need to get beyond, I think, the, the traditional narrative of career development if we're going to be able yeah. to 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 accomplish, I think, what you're suggesting, you know, with the the career redeployment kind of model. Right. Yeah, well, no, very, very well said. You know, a part of this has to also be companies and individuals embracing this notion of lifelong learning and always learning something new and getting new skills. In my world, which was the print magazine world, when the digital world happened, I had to get all of my team to become digitally savvy. And, you know, for all of the people on the sales marketing side of the organization, we put them through a training session of learning all about the whole digital world and how we ultimately would monetize that. That was the company making a commitment to them to give them a new skill set. But there are all sorts of continuing education programs, uh, master's degrees, certificates, where people can go and learn new things that will help them if not in their existing career, make a leapfrog into something into something different. I just saw one the other day, you know, becoming uh, an expert in data analytics, you know, really big subject top subject right now. And it's a, you know, eight month course and you can become an expert and get that certificate. And it may pivot you to another kind of experience that is different than what you were doing. And so I think it's a question of being creative. Um, people always say to me too, well, I don't have the the money to do it. I always say there's a lot of money out there, especially for people who are at mid midlife. Um, there's something called scholarship owl, which you might be familiar with. There are lots of sources for financial aid. I just, um, a guy reached out to me who had read the book. He applied to a, uh, a leadership program at one of the Ivy, the Ivy league schools, which he couldn't afford, but because he had spent his whole career in nonprofits, they, there was an opportunity for him to get a, a funding, a scholarship to do the program. So, you know, there are all you have to do the research. You have to go out and find it and, and find your way. I in the book Roar that I wrote that you mentioned, I interviewed 40 individuals who all did pivots in their life and found their solutions. Um, primarily, they were career pivots, but there were some other 
pivots too, lifestyle pivots, you know, et cetera. Um, it's just a question of being driven and motivated. Yeah. And I love reskilling, upskilling, being lifelong learners, just the idea that we can't ever be complacent. The rate and pace of change is just accelerating. Um, I, I was having a conversation with with someone here at the university um, just last week who has been here for 35 years. And you can imagine the te- the technological shifts that she has seen uh, over that time period. And, right. and, and she was talking about, you know, from the early days, using a typewriter, you know, in her office all the way up through. So like, you know, all of those sorts of things, right. we've seen so much change over 35 years. Imagine now 10 years, 20 years into our future. And now we're talking about a career that's 60 years long. Right. I mean, it's, it's almost mind blowing to think about the right. amount of change that is going to happen within one person's lifespan, one person's um, career. If we're going to be ready for that, we just have to lean into, you know, constant learning, constant change. And right. I, I'm not sure if there's a, another way around that. There isn't. I mean, I, I've told my teams, you know, over the years, you have to be a student every day. You have to constantly be aware of how your world is changing, your business is changing, your industry is changing. And you have to really be a student every day in terms of how that uh, will affect your, your, your growth and your development. Well, Michael, this has just been a real pleasure. I know at the time I need to let you go here in just a minute, but before we wrap up for today, I wanted to give you a chance to share with my audience how they can connect with you, find out more about your work, where they can find your books and, and all your writing, and then give us the final word on the topic for today. Yeah, thanks. No, uh, you know, I'm at uh, roarbymichaelclinton.com. We have a monthly newsletter around this whole topic, which is a freemium, so there's no cost to anyone. We, um, you know, so you can go right into that website. The book is available on all platforms on all, at all places. Uh, we're into our third printing, uh, which is pretty exciting. So it's a topic that has really been resonating with, with people. Um, we're going to have a lot more happening on the Roar platform over the next months, uh, which will be exciting around this, this topic as well. And I'm on LinkedIn and I'm on Twitter. Um, so feel free to just reach out uh, on those platforms too. So thanks for that. Wonderful. Thank you, Michael. It has been a pleasure. And I encourage my audience to reach out, get connected, check out the book, check out all of his great writing on the topic and other topics. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. You enjoy the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Enjoy ad-free listening by going to the Patreon page. And please consider contributing even at the producer or sponsorship level. And please leave a review. Thank you for your support. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.